surviving is not thriving. It's one thing to stick it out and be stubborn and be tenacious, but there is a limitation. And we live in a society in business, particularly where everything is data driven. It's all about metrics, KPIs, are you hitting them? But when is the breaking limit? Do you recognize the breaking limit both as a business, as a professional and as an individual? Well, what's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Emma Sue, who's in Seattle. She's an Aussie from Melbourne. And check this out. Emma is a geneticist turned award-winning community manager. She currently works at Electronic Arts, a little gaming company you might be familiar with. Tiago Bursu is in LA. Tiago is a brand strategy consultant with over 15 years experience in advertising. And uh, welcome both of you to talk about being in potentially toxic workplaces. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mark. As we get into this, I just want to say that we're not looking to call anyone out. We're not even necessarily going to name anyone or anything. What we're going to deal with really is the subjective experience that you, I might throw some stuff in, but largely that you have both had. So we're going to take your experience and how you experienced it, how you report it at face value. Uh, it's going to be hopefully a delicate and gentle chat because as we enter the workplace and have good and not good experiences, Often people who are on the, on, on the side of being sensitive, introverted, intuitive, empathetic, often if things aren't going well or they feel they're being mistreated, their first stop can be to look at themselves and to see themselves as the problem. And that can actually be something that other people will imply or say to them that they're broken or it's your fault that this did, this didn't go your way or whatever's going on. And so just want to call out that we're going to be dealing with uh, your subjective realities and we're not looking to punish. This is not like a revenge uh, interview at all. Okay. And we want it to feel like a safe place. Uh, before we got on air, or got on stream, uh, Emma and Tiago were kind enough to put together a few bullet points about their experiences. And I thought that those bullet points and their experiences would be a good place to start. Emma, do you mind just running us through your experience with, uh, I guess, difficult work situations? Sure. So these are sort of my observations and, and what I gave you, Mark. Um, so from the top, um, I'm originally a scientist and have worked in sectors such as clinical pathology, biotech, academia, research. Um, science has its own problems with toxic slash negative environments and behavior in quite different ways to say tech. Research is very much a lifestyle. I'm just going to look at research for a second. Um, and having seen a lot of scientists, both, you know, masters, uh, early research, uh, postgrads, it's very much something that you commit a lot of your life to, both emotionally and also your work life to in, in terms of what you do. And there can be certain um, attitudes, and I sort of called this out later on, um, a lot of people in academia would be familiar with the phrase publish or perish, which can lead to some very, very stressful situations because often your publication or your record of publication directly affects the funding. Um, so it becomes a very personal and professional investment and there's a lot of uh, personal pride and ego that's part of it. But I feel like that's very much applicable to a lot of different situations. But that's, that's sort of like an insight that I've had having a foot in um, the science world and also eventually into the gaming world. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my first point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the I know a few people who, who are academics, professors in, in New York uh, in, in their 50s and 
they're pretty well-balanced individuals and pretty self-aware and empathetic, actually. Uh, but they'll make jokes about how they know how eccentric academics usually are and how a lot of it is about defending yourself, your ego. And even the way that you look at the how they write their books, the introductions are often super comparative. Like this professor or this academic didn't find out this thing that we found out. There's like a little cat fight in introductions to a lot of the more academic books. And they, they will talk and not in a mean way about how a lot of the people that they're around, you've got to be a little bit careful, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, are definitely advanced on the spectrum of uh, being disagreeable and not empathetic and maybe not a lot of eye contact going on as well, right? So that that is baked into academia. It seems to be baked into science a little bit as well. Uh, what about as far as also, it's so strange that you went from science to community management. I feel like that's its own episode. But like, what about your experience in more of the community management and marketing world where a lot of your context, I guess, has also been the, the games world, which is known for a bunch of like toxic masculine behavior, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's a huge topic in and of itself. And I find it personally fascinating. Um, I've been, just for background, I've been a gamer for most of my life, but I would never consider gaming as a career prior to whenever I did my career change. But it's been well documented that there is toxic communities and that certain toxic behaviours um, have been noted. And unfortunately, it's a problem that we really need to address um, because sometimes you can just have bad instigators within communities and that attitude can spread and spread and spread and basically metastasize, which is not healthy for anyone. It's not healthy for the people who are actively engaging in communities. It's not healthy for people who may not be actively engaging, however, do read forums, post social media and stuff like that. To see that reflection of them and, and their product, it's, it's not a good feeling. And then again, being on the developer or even marketing side, when you're faced with such vitriolic criticism sometimes, it's really disheartening. Um, and it's not just you know, your professional sort of work on the line you are in some ways having put in a, a, an emotional investment into the work that you produce it's actually kind of not great and that can contribute to a lot of sort of bad feeling and even eventual mental health sort of problems mm -hmm. um, to take it to the extreme uh, we've seen cases and it has been documented where there's been threats of violence death threats that sort of thing which is extremely unfortunate um, me personally I have been doxxed so, you know, it gets pretty hairy, but this whole area with regards to toxicity and games is, is really fascinating in lots of different, different ways. Right, right. So, so, so your entire career, whether it's been in science or uh, through streaming gaming and through your professional work, you're surrounded by essentially toxic behavior. Like you, have you had a toxic free period of your <laughs> like adult life? Um, there's definitely been bright moments. I wouldn't say that my entire career has been toxic by any stretch of the imagination. I've had wonderful colleagues, wonderful experiences, um, great jobs which I've taken away good stuff from and also learning experiences, um, developing myself going, oh, how am I going to handle this situation? Developing my own coping and resilience techniques through that as well. I mean, if you, when you're doing front-facing work, whether that be client work, if you're working on an agency, with dealing with a difficult client, um, dealing with social media and, and trolls and a lot of bile in that way, um, we all sort of come up with our own mental defences. How do we deal with a difficult situation? Um, so I've, I've taken it as, as unpleasant as it's been. I've kind of taken that as much as I can as a positive way to develop myself and how can I 
better be resilient? How can I better mentor people um, who are in those situations? Yeah. Like, how do we how do we better support these people who are in these circumstances? And often it's unwarranted, but how can we help them? Yeah, I, I, I like that. And I think for this conversation, I, I personally want to differentiate. I don't know if you agree. I want to differentiate the idea of toxic, toxic company being like, uh, they're just not nice to me or I just don't like it. That's not what we're talking about here. When, when I'm thinking about somewhere that's toxic, we're talking about companies that allow, enable, maybe encourage implicitly or explicitly behavior that has a gentle or an explicit violence about it that will really get someone to question who they are. I'm not talking about like, oh, I just, my boss was, you know, not great to me today. I didn't like my creative brief. What a toxic boss. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Okay. Cause that, cause you could just use that word toxic to describe anything that's not going your way. Sure. Emma, thank you for that. Tiago, you've got a timeline uh, that is very similar or a history that's quite similar to a lot of people I know where you go from being a, a strategist and encountering some interesting characters to getting more senior to getting more senior roles and still encountering encountering some funny characters uh could you run us through your history sure my toxic experiences started very early when i was an intern and that came as a shock because i i was uh on university where i was doing well when i was you know being well regarded and I think in my naivety, I thought that would translate automatically to success on the work environment. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, I had terrible experiences like a boss humiliating me in front of a bunch of other people in, uh, in the office or me making an observation about what I have seen and being disregarded and being stupid or, or being something that I shouldn't have voiced. And that got me very off guard because I, you know, on the guest out wasn't wasn't closing. How how come I I mean I'm good on what I'm doing on academia level, university level? Why that was not, not translating into work? So there was this this instance when I was doing a competitor review for for Latin America. So all the the big guys in Latin America was, were listening to what I was saying, and I make an observation about, how, and by the way, that competitor did this. And they were surprised because it wasn't the, usually the behavior of that particular competitor doing that. And my boss said, are you sure about that? And I was like, you know, 30 people look at me and say, well, I think I'm sure. And she said to me, well, if you are not sure, don't voice it. Otherwise, you embarrass yourself. So that was like, you know, the first kind of a shutdown that I had. And yet I was right. <laughs> and I was, as, I was more stupid because then I, I confront her. So I, I gave to her and uh, didn't help me at all because, you know, she, she felt that I was confronting her and I wasn't mm -hmm. being professional about the feedback and all mm -hmm. that shit. Um, and I, when I was progressing, the problems were uh, getting different. So I had this boss where he was, he used to be overweight and he was very, very fit when I met him. But that kind of uh, brought him on a psychosis where he had to eat in a certain time, he had to train in a certain way. Otherwise, he would freak out. Literally, he would freak out. And that uh, led me to... Um, I had to come like in the morning, like 8.30, and I had to listen to him to tell me how his training was. So he would say how the, 
the strokes on swimming was how you know the run didn't feel quite away you know how you know he how how the training was good or wasn't good and depending on the outcome of the training that will they'll shape his behavior for for the entire day so if i had like things that i need his approval or his feedback if it wasn't a bad if it was a bad day i wouldn't be able to do it and that was like freaking me out it's like how how those guys are allowed to operate how those guys are allowed to be promoted um one thing i'd like to just highlight you, you mentioned about the companies that encourage and and do that um i think there is that for sure but on my experience usually uh, I believe companies are made of people, so I don't regret any of the companies I work, but I regret the teams I work. So I think there were, there were like uh, teams that were very toxic or people who were very toxic. But, it, you know, if you cross the office and go to you know, the south side of the office, mm-hmm. that would be a completely different environment and experience. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that doesn't help because it's um, when you, you voice your concerns People say, well, I, I never experienced that. Actually, you know, that company X was great. You know, I, I made amazing friends. I had a mentor. All those things that you expect when you, when you start your career. And I, and I, I felt that when, when I was progressing, and you talk, uh, and I talk about resilience, and I think it's a good thing, but also a bad, because you start to, to get more. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a tough cookie. I'm, you know, I have a, a tough skin. I can take it. And last year was the first time that I had to, to take drugs because I couldn't handle it. I thought that was, I was so strong that I could take anything. Mm-hmm. You know, when I got myself, I was having panic attacks. I wasn't able to sleep. And I had to take you know, uh, uh, drugs to help me out to control. And that really freaked me out because, fuck, I wasn't, can I say fuck? <laughs> I think you just did twice. <laughs> fuck, three times. <laughs> You, you, you know, you're, you're starting to raise your bar, your emotional bar. Yeah. And I think in the end, it doesn't help you at all because you, you get to a limit that you think you are invincible, that you can take any, any shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there are side effects that you don't even consider. Yeah, Emma? I totally agree with you, Tiago. Um, like, I, I would caveat the resilience thing um, as survival is not thriving. Surviving is not thriving, basically. Um, It's one thing to stick it out and be stubborn and be tenacious, but there is a limitation. And we live in a society, uh, in business particularly, where everything is data-driven. It's all about metrics, KPIs, are you hitting them? Uh, How can we um, pivot towards action? Which, okay, great. Great in concept, great in terms of business, business talk. But... When is the breaking limit? Do you recognize the breaking limit both as a business, uh, as a professional, and as an individual? Because I I have burnt out several times through my career in different ways. And often uh, we drive ourselves so far that we, we lose our soul in the process. We lose our emotional capacity. And when we start losing our empathy towards others and ourselves and what we do, when it's just like, no, I need to hit this deadline, I need to perform, I think you're waved out down the path already. And and that is that is toxic. That is a toxic mentality. That is that is a toxic situation that you have yourself into. And I'm really sorry to hear about what, what you went through. It, when you to the point where you need professional help and medication, that's that's way far. So surviving is not thriving. 
Yeah. It's interesting, Antiago. I want you to finish uh, some of the other things that you've gone through. But I also want to point out, it, it's some of these concepts, I mean, big words, uh, and I don't mean big because they're long, but important words like humiliation or burnout or empathy or uh, like imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon, which you've not said yet, but will probably come up through to uh, resilience. You know, I, I think all of these words are useful if you can look at them with a slightly detached eye where you're like, gaslighting might be going on, might not be going on. How do I feel about it? Resilience, what's good about being resilient? What's not good about being resilient? Because resilience is one of those words and grit. Those two words have popped up because of books connected to things like the growth mindset and the science, the research, the ideas, philosophically, psychologically, super useful, super useful. You know, I've come across neuroscience that talks about how the brain if it can see a, a fear situation and go, yeah, I'm going to do that, that you're talking back to the brain. And because of neuroplasticity, the brain can rewire itself over time. That reaction gets built into you. And that's how Navy SEALs basically outcompete other people when they're, they're competing to become a Navy SEAL. Psychologists will also sometimes talk about how the ability to change perspective or have a different perspective about a traumatic situation is actually more important than whether the traumatic situation happened that if you're like, that wasn't that bad for me, I'm okay, I got through it, that's what actually matters in your subjective reality. Uh, but I just really wanted to call out that some of these words, I get nervous that they take on this meme momentum and everyone's like, oh yeah, I, I totally have imposter syndrome or I should be more resilient. Yeah, but you also might be being abused. It's the, you, you gotta kind of keep those things together rather than overly identifying with one where you start to hurt yourself, right? Totally. Um, Tiago, do you mind finishing the sure. other? Because I like the, sen the senior uh, situations you went through, I relate to. <laughs> and to your point, it's hard for you to recognize. So one of the, the, the things was where I, I had a, a boss that he actually, the HR said that was because I went to the HR to, to kind of ask how I deal with this guy. And they said, well, no, he has um, this uh, unconscious bias. In, and basically what she was saying, he's a racist. So he was Brit and he was from upper class. So he, even in the way he talks and people he surrounds, he's all posh people from, from Chelsea area in London. Uh, and he, he chose me to say, well, this guy, I really don't like him. You know, I don't like his accent. I don't like his culture. Uh, I don't like where he's come from. And, and he really went to me. And, and, uh, and, and I was trying to kind of... Uh, in the resilience part of you was trying, okay, all right, I will try to show to this guy that I'm, and I'm good. But he didn't want to do that. He really wanted to prove that I wasn't fit for, for the job. And uh, when, in the end, I was made redundant in a reorg, and he was a key part of me being, being made redundant, he said to me, are you sure that uh, Martin's aid is for you? And I already had 15 years of experience. I had just been promoted. I was promoted from Brazil to London, to UK. Um, and I had like stellar recognitions. But in one year that I worked with this guy, uh, he was able to completely demolish my reputation in, in the company. And, uh, and really, they really got into me to say, I can't believe this guy in one year can make that assumption. And that really, really hurt to me because he completely disregarded my whole career and said, well, no, maybe you're not, maybe Martins is not for you. Mm -hmm. And that took me a while 
to to get to get into it because you know you felt like oh maybe I was a client side at the time. Client is not client side is not for me, or big companies are not for me. You you try to cover something to justify, you know, what what happened, and 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 later on reflecting, like it took me a year at least for me to because I, I got different interviews and after that, and none of the interviews kind of succeed, and everyone was saying, well, I don't think Tiago uh, it really wants this job. I don't think Tiago really is keen to do this or doing to do that and I felt it was like an after effect from from what happened in that area uh, another one was this when I, I had to take medication I was appointed to open up an office here in LA and and uh, we worked like we negotiated for six months what is going to be the role and uh, and, and it was a, a kind of MD role here like pretty senior being the, the face of the company here and so we, we were very thorough in terms of what what entails that that uh, the job and what kind of support I would have. And when I was hired, basically I was told, well, the business is sinking. We need uh, we need to <laughs> we need a help to to find new business pretty quickly. And the pressure, so the, the whole job description that we agreed was went to shambles, didn't happen. But they never said, well, let's change the, the, the description. They just assumed that was the, the job description from the start. So we have those crazy conversations where I say, well, but we, we didn't agree on that. But because it was all verbal, it was not, nothing was written, and it was very friendly and it was very amicable, you were trusting that, that the person is in the same page that you are. And they at, at the end of my period that said, well, Chago is not working. You've been here three months. So it was overseas. So the company was uh, opening up an overseas office in the US. They are, they are Europe-based. Europe and they said, well, three months is not working. You haven't brought business enough to pay your salary. And you, 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 you get this face, say, well, what do I say to these people? Do I say to them that if, if you want to open a business, you should at least have a business plan of a year? Should I say that there is very rude for them to you know to expect three months to be break even, break even with one single person? Do they t- do I tell them that it wasn't what we agree? And in the end, you you make um, a balance and said, what's you know what is best if I just keep silent and walk away and, and pretend that everything is fine because you don't know who you're gonna meet these people again in life, or do you confront them? And I choose to to be silent and say, well. Okay, I understand. Yeah, it's not working. Mm-hmm. Shake hands and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a quick story, and then I want to get you guys talking again. But uh, yeah, I had a couple. I had a couple of funny runs. Uh, you know, I was relatively because I did digital and brand work growing up. I was often just left alone to do my thing, or we just work in teams. Or in Australia, it's flatter anyway. And it's not that you don't encounter, you know, difficult personalities in Australia. It's just that it's flatter, and you get we kind of. You know, in my mind, at least, we just get on with it. And in the US, there's like hierarchy and a lot of people fussing over all the work so that they can have their name on it. To me, I didn't grow up with. So I had to adapt to that and I really struggled with it because it felt super like manipulative. And then I took a couple of really senior jobs. One was to run an agency in New York and they closed the holding company, closed it up for a month, which made sense on paper because they bought a digital agency, wanted them to move uh, into our space and this small version of the big thing that I joined didn't have many people uh, and lady you find out weird things like uh, apparently this large company tried to buy the company that I had been at formerly and maybe this was a revenge hire 
uh, and then had a meeting at the top of a skyscraper in Chicago. And the global CCO, super well-known guy, as we're discussing them folding this company, just looks at us and goes, you know, the main thing is your career. I'm like, what is this? I wasn't what are you even talking about? Like you just, I'm on a temporary visa with family here. You just close this thing down after a month without any actual like interaction about it, like legitimate. And I was just like, you know, then I, over time, I just look at people's eyes. I'm like, is there anything going on in there? And then I jumped to one other place and, you know, it's to be ahead of planning with no planners that reported to me, no PNL, no power. The planners reported to people in the different departments and groups. And I got there and people would say to me, we don't want planners here because we do the strategy. And I was just getting gaslit the whole time, basically told, go do presentations about strategy. And then I would find decks from seven years ago of other people who'd done it. And the day I started, a person in the role was leaving, but no one had told me about it. And I was like, oh, what have I done? And, and it, it gets to you because... Yes, you might approach that situation with a bit of uh, confidence and, and ego. I don't. I try not to carry myself with crazy arrogance. Like even in the, as an employee, I, I try to be coach-like. To do creative work, you're gonna have a little bit of uh, an ego because that's they, they correlate. And then you get into these situations and you're like, "What have I done? Am I an idiot? You know, how did I not? You know, but one of my questions." Fear. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and honestly, there was one of my main red flags is when I'm in, when I'm getting interviewed or was getting interviewed by a CEO. I would ask them a, a question such as, you know, is, is there anything that almost broke you in life that you came back from, something like that? And the person in the last job just looked at me with a blank face and said, no. And I was like, God, I didn't even listen to my own red flag. That's what it was there for. That question was my red flag question. Uh, Emma. It sounds like you have a very developed operating system to deal with this because you've dealt with it in a, like a, such a big way. Uh, whereas Tiago, it feels like you're dealing with it a little bit later in, in life, right? I'm kind of curious, Emma, when you first encountered toxic behavior, was that before being in a career? Did that happen through school, university? Yeah. Um, so I didn't exactly have the best high school experience. Um, I was a kid that everyone picked on and it was not pleasant for a multitude of reasons. But uh, one data incident actually comes to mind. Um, when I was doing my undergraduate, I double majored in genetics and microbiology. And I think I was going from second year to third year. And I had a professor, my genetics professor at the time, on the other side of the desk, he said, so what do you like? What do you like doing in your life? And I said, um, I'm a hobbyist photographer. I like doing art, that sort of thing. He goes like, okay, all right. So you should probably do that because you're never going to make it as a scientist. Just, like straight up in my face. And I, I had nothing to say for a moment or so. And I said, well, thank you for the feedback. Um, anyway, during, a year later, I actually had, had him again as a lecturer, and it was the last class of the semester, and during that year, I'd, I'd picked up my socks. Like, I'd, I'd really sort of, I'd gone from being a mediocre student to finishing top 15 in my class, and I also worked for a clinical genetic service as part of um, a, a clinical network, and this was all as an undergrad. I actually hadn't had my bachelor's yet, so I was very fortunate in that way. And my uh, senior manager in that clinical genetics job was actually a friend of this particular lecturer. So at the last tutorial lecture for the semester, I actually went up to him and said, hey, so last year you told me that I'd never make it a scientist. Do you know this particular guy? And he goes, yes, he's a friend of mine. I was like, he's my manager. And so that was my one moment of vindication. It's like the guy didn't really have anything to say to me, but 
also, what gives you the right to tell anyone that they're going to not make it in their chosen career, that they're not going to make it in the field they studied for mm. without knowing their background, their, their aspirations, their dreams, what they actually want to do. I could have dropped out and done teaching for all he, he could have known, but it, it gives no right. But unfortunately, people get off on this sort of thing. Um, it's a bit of a power play. I'm not bitter about it. I kind of look back and, and kind of laugh in some ways because, well, I'm no longer a scientist, so I guess he was somewhat right. Uh, but it's like I've I've experienced that throughout my my adult life, really, and also in part of my adolescence, which is unfortunate, but it has sort of shaped and has sort of shown me what I can do. But I totally admit after that lecture told me that, you know, you're never going to make it a scientist. I actually went home and cried. I, I remember being on the phone to a friend and I was just like, what am I done? Like, what am I doing? What have I done? I love my sub. I love this subject. I've, I could recite, I could tell you what the base pairs were when I was 10 years old, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah. And it's just something that I remember defiance, but it's not the same in every situation. I was kind of curious. Cause like the way that you present yourself, at least in this interaction is extremely thoughtful. And on the one hand, that could probably be pretty intimidating to someone who's just dealing with this for the first time and might be in the phase of, it's me, isn't it? It's, it's, it's me. But the thoughtfulness that you're projecting right now, and the, the confidence that you're projecting right now, it sounds like it's come from almost a lifetime of dealing with put downs and, and people coming at you. How do you feel now about you, about your life, about your relationships? I have my good days and bad days, same as any other human. There's a lot of times where I question myself and the work I'm doing. Is it actually fulfilling? Um, I feel deeply passionate about human relationships and, and culturing that, which is why, in part, I love communications. But it's like, is the work I'm actually doing meaningful to other people? Is it meaningful to me? Am I actually a good person? Um, sometimes it just boils down to that question. Am I a good person by any definition of good? Am I a good partner? Am I a good um, friend? Am I there for am I there for people who who need my help in that moment of time? And going through a lot of difficulty, that really challenges your confidence in your identity sometimes. And there have been instances where I have been ground down by the circumstances around me and sometimes even professionally where like I, it's, it's broken me and it's similar to Tiago's story. It's taken me a full year to recover. In, in an instance, I, I was, I, I left a job. Um, this was, this was years ago. I left a job and I found out some time later, some years later, from a former colleague that after I'd left that job and I was applying for other jobs, um, a person in management actually rang around to any open positions to basically get me blackballed. So, yeah, which is pretty pretty unethical. Yeah, what's that? What, like, is that a... Also, like, I didn't even provide this context and everyone here would probably know because they read the same research on books and probably watch the same TED Talks, but the companies reward sociopathic and psychopathic behavior, which is why there are more sociopaths and psychopaths in leadership roles compared to, uh, like, relative to the average population. But that behavior, that malevolent, malicious takedown behavior, what's all that about? Like, how, why, did, why do you think that happened? Why did that person do that? 
I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. I'm not in their head. Some, it's it's past me. It's behind me. Um, but I, I honestly don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what gave them the impression they could do this. Not just to me. This is not just personal outrage or anything like that. But to anyone. And I feel quite strongly about um, you know diversity, uh, y- young and upcoming um, people starting their career. And to do that to anyone is both unethical and immoral, in my opinion. Um, you shouldn't have that much – like, okay, person doesn't report to you anymore. What is it, any of your business, what they do with their, their life and their professional life? So that's it's – not, it's not fair. It's not cool. Yeah, psychologically, I mean, a person could just be a psychopath. but Because that's basically burn-it-down behavior, and that often comes from if I can't have it, I'm going to destroy it. And look, we see that in politics right now. It's the same kind of thinking that's, um, look, I don't mean to put them together in like a literal way, but that kind of thinking leads to things like school shootings, which is like, I'm bigger and better than this entire situation. The situation here that you're talking about is you. For other people, it might be the school and the community. For others, it's a country. And if I can't have it because I'm the best, then it doesn't deserve to exist. And that's this annihilation that someone's trying to do, the systematic annihilation. Thank you for sharing that. That's um, disgusting and overwhelming. How are you okay now? Yeah, yeah. That was many, many years ago. Um, it was very, very painful to go through. Um, but I have subsequently risen above that. I know that's that almost sounds inspirational, and I'm not trying to martyr myself by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But it's not something I would wish wish on my worst enemy. It's not even something I would wish on that individual. Yeah. At all. I appreciate the nuance you bring there because often, and especially in the US, you know, you see someone doing a TED talk, which is often quite vulnerable, or they're at a conference and they talk about a dark situation that led them to the light. But no, it could be dark forever and it could, it could just lurk there and you've got to sometimes really work through it. But it's not like a bad thing happened. You get over it. Boom, I'm superhero. Like, it's not like that necessarily. Um, Tiago, the early phase of your career, you mentioned what were probably like less systematic uh, humiliations or interactions with people. You know, it, it sounds like Emma's just had a almost a permanent or a very frequent onslaught of negative, uh, annihilating behavior. You describe stories in which there was a humiliation in front of a group and then another humiliation in another interaction. At what point do you start to think this is systematic or it's really going to do me harm? Because it can kind of creep up on you that less uh, obvious and less direct uh, behavior, right? Yes. I'm not sure if I had the maturity at the time to think about that. But now now that you're talking, I'm reflecting. And um, so those situations happened in different groups. So I had friends in different groups that witnessed what happened. And I was actually, I was concerned to to think that was me. There was, I mean, maybe I'm not that good. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe it's, you know, it's my personality that doesn't click with its kind of a uh, environment. And then I, I was, I was in a group and talking with different people from from that witnessed in different situations, and they do, they all said, "No, I remember that. What happened to you?" And, and that what kind of a rea- made me a realization that that was really hurting me. That I was, you know, I was doubting myself. That I was. No, I was really, really getting to a place that was very hard for me to come come out. And then I looked professional help. So I went to therapy. I went to to try to find you know uh, cope mechanisms 
professionally that would help me to to deal with, with that. Uh, and you know that kind of helped because I mean I'm here, <laughs> regardless of my you know what professionally, which is you know, uh, to Emma's point, I don't I don't feel that I I met awful people all the time and I'm surrounded by awful people. Awful people not not at all at all. I met like wonderful people. I had great times. I did uh, fantastic jobs as well. But those mechanisms in the beginning really helped me. But later in my life, I started to, you know, taking that's life. So I have to deal with that. So I, I'm strong. And, and I'm and I only more recently that I'm trying to kind of uh, put my armor down. And if something is not nice, I'm just, I, I won't take it. You know, I will, doesn't really matter if I was only in this company for a month. If, I, if I'm facing that the red flags that you mentioned are coming up, coming up instead of uh, you know, being concerned, well, what's the, what the market's going to think about me if I leave after three months? Um, that that's actually is, is becoming less of priority. I'm really more aware, more concerned about my mental health, if I'm happy doing what I'm doing, if that's being fulfilling. I know that a lot of people don't have the, that luxury because they don't have bills to pay, so, that, so am I, but I have a partner who also helps that allows me to be more selective. And when I'm going for you know, a work, not only for the money or not only for the pay the bills, but also is that place going to hurt me or mm. hurt my, me mentally or it's just a tough place you know, mm. because that's a fine line. When you, you are born so many times, I'm sure Emma probably thinks the same way. You, you always have a second guess where you're, where, where you're going. At least it's what happens with me. So every time that I join a new company or a project, I always looking for uh, head flags or things that, well, this guy might be a problem. Let, let watch out. Emma. This is why I, I sort of think that toxicity can be very, very subtle. Uh, it was just the other day I was reading some research that overconfidence and arrogance is contagious, which I thought was actually pretty interesting. But sometimes it's not just overt, like, you're terrible, you're a terrible planner, strategist, creative, etc., etc. It can be almost gaslighting, but then you take that and it snowballs in your head and you end up gaslighting yourself and you undermine yourself. That is a form of very subtle toxicity, whether one is aware of it or not, and it's really not that obvious mm-hmm. until you're actually you know, going through it. Oh, when, when the guy said that I uh, asked me if I was uh, sure that marketing was for me, that was in my head for years. Well, for, was for years. Yeah. You know, even I continue on marketing, I still, when I, I'm facing with some challenge or even like a normal thing, like I had a brief that I, I was having a hard time to crack it, that that bugs me. Say, was he right? No, mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe I'm not that good, right? I mean, there are, there are cultural dimensions to this as well. Like I hear I hear from a lot of people in Sweat who who are in, in India. India has a caste system, a class system. Uh, a lot of people who own the agencies there are from super long, you know, old wealth, right? And they can get people working 80 hours a week with zero empathy. It's just the game there. That that's what I hear about. Not a criticism. You know what it is actually. Just you know be a bit nicer to each other. In the US, you get things like Minnesota nice, where they're nice to your face, stab you in the back after you've left the room. And it's funny because that comes from uh, Minnesota having, from what I understand, somewhat of, I guess, a Scandinavian or German history where collective and collective cultures matter, helps the 
people survive and so they want things to feel good and then when you leave the room and they stab you in the back or then I was, I was talking to I had a good walk around Central Park with Jason Lonsdale yesterday I'm sure Jason won't mind me mentioning this he's uh, head of strategy at Ogilvy and uh, he talked about pitching in, in South Korea which I've also done and uh, I sought clarification before we went and was told I was con- confrontational, but I was talking like this to protect my team. And uh, got, I, I got reported for being confrontational because I was trying to clarify the agenda for the meeting and, and some of the treatment of my team. Uh, and Jason said that because of uh, the need to save face in South Korea, it's not uncommon for senior people to fall asleep while you're presenting because if they fall asleep, it means they can say, I didn't hear what was presented, so they don't have to disagree with it. Like, it's a kind of toxic, right? And I mean, South Korea is trying to adjust other behaviors, such as uh, all the young people having to go out and get drunk with the boss, including young women. Uh, they're trying to correct a lot of that. So these, these, there are cultural dimensions to some of these things as well. Um, this is a loaded question, and it's from uh, uh, the Facebook group. It's from Colin Gray. Why do you think companies promote and reward bullies? You can challenge the question, but that is a question that's available to us. I think there is, um, uh, I know bullies usually they are very self, very uh, self-confident. Now they really, they really seems that they have the shit together. They know what is the path that they have to go, and you know they they have this kind of uh, a clear vision of uh, what has to be done, and and they will move mountains to make make it happen. And all those guys, they bring results. They're like they destroy, they destroy teams. But in the in the quarter, in the short term, you know, the the stocks are high, the, the net sales are high, uh, because th- th- there are results. And of course, nobody measures the after effect of that or other dimensions like the the happiness of the team or how many people left after that great year, great year. Uh, and all those things. So when you look at the numbers, uh, that guy has a stellar track record. No, he he's delivering right uh, on the on the matter on the metrics that matters for for the city. You know, for the Wall Street. I think in part uh, confidence can be translated as as competence, um, especially if you don't know the finer details. I've seen and I've definitely heard of situations from from other professionals and other friends that um, similar to the line of like my success is your success and that all like just because you report up into someone it's a team effort and that can be misconstrued as sort of success at all costs and literally at all costs as long as it's not your personal cost as long as it's not your ringable neck. So I think that could play a part into it um, and why people fail upwards. Uh, sorry, that was kind of like a half-baked thought. <laughs> no, no, totally, totally. I get it, I get it. It's, it's just funny because as you're, you know, I didn't have to think about all this stuff growing up so much uh, for various reasons, but mostly because it was just, you know, a little, little outsider, a little lonely guy walking around. Uh, but, you know, there are people, you, you come to New York, for example, and there's definitely people who have a very simple binary way of looking at the world. You're either predator or prey. Yeah. You're an owner or you're enslaved. It's your reality or you're like an actor in someone else's reality. I never thought about that until I moved to the US. I never thought about being super confident. I mean, in Australia, both of you are not from the US. 
uh, and forgive me for talking about Australia so frequently, it's just where I grew up, you know, seeing someone uh, from a Seattle tech company clapping at the end of a presentation, that was weird to us. We're like, whoa, calm down, you know, and why are you so confident and eloquent? You know, we're just like mumbling our way. I'm also now dealing in multiple stereotypes at the same time because I'm super talented at stereotypes. <laughs> um, how have both of you dealt with the need to feel and then be confident in this new country? Uh, it's it's been interesting. I mean, like you from from back home in Australia, um, the work culture, the and I don't say the work culture in terms of like the nine to five necessarily, but the work culture and the interpersonal and interdepartmental relationships are quite different from what I experienced back home. I felt like in Australia, there was more of a sense of camaraderie of that. You could just walk up to someone's desk and be like, hey, I've got a question about this. Can you clarify this? Or can you gut check me on this? Whereas in the US, it's it's a lot more formal. And I have found in some cases, uh, and other friends have said this as well, that there seems to be a... Uh, a tendency sometimes to be over-enthusiastic, to be over-positive of like, oh, let's just say this metric is softening or this metric is uh, experiencing seasonal downturn. I mean, that's just life. That's just business. But then it would be like, so we see some softening, but it's like, and then really happy with something else. It's like burying the lead. But that over-optimism can lead to an overly rosy picture. And if decisions are being made from stuff like that, then you kind of run into problems later down the track going, is this thing underperforming? Do we need to review resourcing, staffing, the future of this particular thing? Like it, it's... It was interesting to adjust and it was interesting to observe. Um, and then just certain mannerisms, neither good nor bad, just different cultural things. Um, Tiago, I'd be interested to hear it from your point of view as well. I mean, you're not from Australia, so. <laughs> but I did live in Australia. So oh. <laughs> six months as a, as a high school student. I think there is, I mean, I'm in the West Coast, so I think this is overly optimistic is even turbocharged here um, from like the little things like, did you have like a great week? So oh, I had a normal week. Does it, did it have to be great? <laughs> so this is kind of, a, I, I, I concur with, a, with a, this overly optimistic lifestyle that they have. Uh, but at least my, exp my professional experience here, it wasn't, uh, but I heard different. I heard from different people where where they they. Uh, I mean, my personal experience wasn't that I had to be more confident that I am just to meet my peers or meet people in the same level. Uh, I think they were quite understanding that I come from a different culture in that perspective, please. That I come from a different culture and my mannerisms are different from them. But I did. Uh, I, I do have friends that they were working here in, in the West Coast and she was kind of uh, put down because she wasn't very vocal on the meetings, you know, so she, she, and, then she and she told me that many, many times that she, she didn't say anything in a meeting or anything meaningful or anything that would make an impact. She would be, she would be told down, say, well, you have to be more vocal, you have to make an, a, a, a point. Uh, even if you don't have anything to do, maybe you are agreeing with the person, maybe you are just kind of uh, digesting. But it was my experience, at least. But I haven't, a part of that that uh, startup that I was helping to build it up here, I always been a freelancer. 
uh, in the US. So my experience has been almost as a as a contractor, and I understand the the relationships are different when you are freelancing. Freelancing. Let me ask you one final question so you can get your days back. It's one of those topics that I know that I could listen to you both talk about and ask you questions about for hours and hours. And I don't, I'm not saying that in a, in a, in a fake way. It's uh, half, well, more than half. 99% of the reason that I do what I do right now is hearing these kinds of stories uh, and knowing that it's so easy to implode because people who experience these things, who are agreeable, who are intuitive, who are sensitive, who are empathetic, who think a lot, who maybe don't feel very supported in their lives or at least in their work lives, you can just disappear into your navel and you're like singularity. And so these kinds of stories drive a lot of what I do, even if I'm talking about how to write a creative brief, this is what's going on. Final question for you. For somebody out there who suspects they're in a toxic situation and i appreciate tiago you differentiated between toxic company and toxic groups or toxic people but for somebody who feels that they're in a toxic situation right now what are ways that they could diagnose and then take seriously the situation and then what kind of action might they take emma i'll start with you it's a big Um, question i know yeah it's it's a pretty big one um how is your communication like how do you feel people are communicating around you is information being withheld from you is it being withheld from your group that's that sort of one flag um how much agency do you have are you taken seriously like when you um and when you present a perhaps politely dissenting opinion um are you being dismissed? Like, it's almost the devil is in the detail in, in some regards and being able to read the room around you without going mad, like without thinking that, oh, everyone's out to get me. It's, it's not quite like that. It's being objective in terms about how how is your leadership? Is the vision clear for your project? Is it just kind of like, oh, yeah, we're just, we're just going to run around. Um, we're just going to ad hoc it, which is beneficial in some situations, but not all and not for the long term. Communication, uh, agency, advocacy, do people do people have a bias for action for, for standing up when they feel like something is of genuine concern? Um, God, I feel like it's going into a bit of a list, but that's probably where I'd start first of all. But also look internally, look at yourself. Are you happy? Um, well, are you content? Maybe happiness is, is a stretch too far, but are you content with what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself continuing to be content in what you are doing? Do you, if, if something were to change, how would you feel about that? And doing a little bit of, of, of I don't want to say soul searching, but just a little bit of analysis and, and just centering yourself and positioning like, am I okay with, with my situation? Am I actually comfortable? Can I rely on my coworkers? That sort of thing. So that's probably where I'd start first of all. Testing for what's real, like testing for what's authentic. If if you're getting access to all the information and all the relationships, or if you're getting access to some of it, and there might be lies like coming through as well, and then whether yeah. that's hurting you or helping you grow, and it's almost like instead of talking about a cost-benefit analysis, it's, it's almost like a growth-pain analysis because I do believe it's useful to think of all these experiences as a way to grow, but also like if it's deeply painful then you need to explore that. And it can mean that you need to just think for a few minutes at least or a few days, like, what are you doing on this planet? You know, what do you want to do so that you can realign that growth pain 
uh, analysis or calculation with, oh, you know what, I'm doing this for a different reason. And that reason doesn't even like, it doesn't even come to life in the job I've got now. Therefore, I probably do need to work out how to take action and make a change. Uh, Tiago. Um, I think my approach, it's funny you asked me that because, you know, as you can see, I haven't, I have a master. <laughs> yeah. are, you, are you in it? Are you in the middle of it? No, I'm not. But Still uh, dealing last, with it, right? No, last year happened, yeah, and I, yeah. I thought, and I thought I was, I had Good. master, you know. Mm-hmm. So because those things come in so different and in different forms. So my examples was from being humiliated in public to I had to listen to the guy tell me his training schedule uh, before starting the work with him. So the the abuse or the toxicity can come in very different forms. So it's hard for you to uh, pinpoint what is just, you know, it's just a character thing. It's just like the guy is just a character or is actually abusive. But usually I start with my own body. Like uh, if I feel that, uh, you know, I have a stomach ache, I have a no cold, cold kind of sweating, this kind of thing it's a sense that that relationship is not good in, in a way. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that it's, you know, I'm being abused or it's just like it's not good. Like because I'm anxious to talk to that person, that person, uh, you know, th- doesn't make me feel comfortable. Uh, so that would be my starting point. And then I would start to see, well, is it something that is, is me? could be me, like I'm not performing, I'm not happy, or is it something that uh, it's particularly at me? And I think what Emma said, like, well, do, do I see the same behavior to other people that are in the same situation? You know, the treatment is different. Do I, do I, I mean, there is a, a little example, if you allow me. So uh, we, I, we, we work overnight, like we, we had to work overnight for a project that wasn't even an agency, it was in a consultancy. And that one of the partners didn't like me for, for a particular reason. And, and everyone, uh, started late because we, 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 we work overnight. Like we were home like 5 a.m. Um, the guy gave me, a, gave me a hard time because I was late. And like literally f- half an hour later, the other person arrived and he was all laughing and, you know, congr- hugging the guy. Oh, what happened, guy? What are you doing here? You're late. Oh, come on. Oh, let's have a coffee. So that was clearly uh, an indication. Of course, I'm being it's an extreme, but it's a clear indication there is a different behavior towards yourself versus others, which, you know, signify that there is toxicity in that particular situation. It's not, because you could say, okay, the guy was a, a bit to everyone. You can, of course, ag- disagree with his behavior, but it wasn't toxicity to you. You know, it was like, uh, the guy is just a jerk and he doesn't see that we, we have worked overnight, but it was particular to a particular person, um, it, it was individually to a particular person. That's a clear indication. There is something uh, very personal to you. And that's, that's where we have to run. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. my advice. Like try to find something else and, and, and move because it's very hard to, I think it's very hard to overcome when it comes to that particular thing. Because there is person, there is you no know, emotions involved. It's not a logical decision. Um, you know, it's almost like a friendship has been broken. Our relationship is broken. It's very hard for you to mend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, I would try to move and just do something else. Okay, I can tell Emma has uh, some 
communities to manage, but in an award-winning way. <laughs> uh, I appreciate both of you being here. I mean, I, I'll just, I'll wrap up by saying that we are dealing with subjective reality, how you perceive the world. And in these situations, you can do at least one of two things. One is to change your perception of that reality through self-talk, through reframing. And guess what? Strategists should have some of those techniques and frameworks that they can apply to themselves. The second option that you have is to change your reality. And to do that one, possibly the first one, but to do that one means exploring in a more honest way what you're about, what you respond to, what brings you to life, and then holding on to it in a way that people can't take from you. Because chances are the people who are treating you in this bad way, they've done that or they don't have feelings and much of an inner life. I'm joking when I say these things, by the way. I, I try to be like loving and compassionate of humanity, but then look, there are some like mean people out there. But the work then is to work out what you believe is real or the reality that you want to take and to make sure that someone can't take that from you and to take steps to bring it to life, which could take days, it could take years. So that's, that's how I would end. Uh, Emma and Tiago, thank you so much for being here. Uh, best wishes with your journeys. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me on Sweathead today. Thanks, Thank Mark. you very much. Thank Please. you.